Hello, and welcome back to the final episode of No Contest Off Tour podcast, where we take you behind the scenes to the new Stab and Red Bull Media House series. I'm Tyler Brewer from the Swell Season Surf podcast, and we are again joined by the director and show host, Ashton Goggins. Um, so this is the final one that we're going to be doing for this series, for this season. Um, this has been quite a journey, Ashton. Thank you for being my Anthony Bourdain of surfing here. Oh, it's, uh, thanks again for, uh, for having us. It's been really nice being able to sit down and talk about the six months that we just had making the show and to give people a little bit of the backstory between, uh, about each episode. Uh, for our last episode, we went to my favorite place on the earth, I think. Uh, we were in Brazil, specifically South Brazil, um, the state of Santa Catarina. Um, Brazil is an enormous country, and I feel like that's a platitude and it should be an obvious statement, but <laughs> a lot of people have this preconceived notion that Brazil is one thing, which would be like assuming that America is one thing and not a multitude of states. And the south of Brazil is known as being the sort of beating heart of Brazilian surfing. It's where the industry has been based for decades. It's where countless of its top surfers have come from. It's where a ton of the best surfers have moved to live for various reasons over the past 15, 20 years. Um, and it's one of the most consistent places on the planet as far as high performance waves go. We were there to meet up with Mateus Hurdy in Florianopolis, um, which is the capital of Santa Catarina. They call it the Island of Magic, Isla de Magica. Isla de Magia. I don't know how, I'm so bad at pronouncing Portuguese <laughs> words like, a, like I'm Spanish. Um, we were there to meet up with Mateus Hurdy in Florianopolis uh, at his, they call it the Island of Magic. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's this beautiful island city that is pretty much hemmed on all corners by little nook and cranny little beach breaks and setups for waves to, regardless of what direction the wind is. There's always somewhere with at the very least side or offshore winds as or as Mateus likes to call it. There's always air wind <laughs> um, and you see that in the style of surfing that comes from there it's almost entirely high performance super progressive um like almost like gymnastic style surfing especially mateus um and we were able to spend two weeks driving the entire 600 kilometer long coastline from north to south of santa catarina from uh parana where there's a wave called machinos goes all the way south to Praia Vila and Garapaba. Praia Vila is where, like, sort of the, where surfing first started. It's where the CT used to go back in the Andy Kelly days. Yes. Where Nathan Hedge beat Andy to win Kelly his eighth world title? Uh, seventh. Seventh world title. Seventh world title, yeah. Um, so we got to go see the full scope of sort of setups, uh, types of waves, uh, the different scenes in each of the little towns and it just left me like reeling from the experience just seeing how much there is and how much variety in surf culture there is in that area of brazil 
Um, it's a place that I don't think I would ever get bored. It's Sao Paulo too is like one of the, like you said, one of the largest cities in South America. Yeah, the largest city. The largest, right? It's massive. Yeah, you. so doing a, a trip to South Brazil and really going to Brazil and for, for most routes, you fly through Sao Paulo. And Sao Paulo is the biggest city in the Southern Hemisphere. Something like 12 million people live in the city and 22 million people live in like the greater metropolitan Sao Paulo region. And you can either catch a short flight down to Floripa or you can get a bus which goes overnight. Um, it's about a 10-hour drive from Sao Paulo to uh, Florinopolis. Um, we drove. My wife is from Sao Paulo, so we flew in and visited her family for a night and then grabbed her parents' car mm-hmm. and drove down to meet up with Mateus. And then Mateus proceeded to spend the next 12 days grinding from dawn to dusk with us making sure that we were at the best waves at the right times, making sure that when the wind got shitty, that we were already lined up to go meet up with the right characters and the right people from each area. And he bent over backwards and went in. I mean, he worked so much harder than any surfer I've ever done any of these projects with to make a point to show the density of culture and talent and creative characters that are from his hometown. Now, Mateus comes from a bit of surf royalty, no? Like his uncle, Guillerme Harde, was was on tour, the CT, for quite a number of years. A really good goofy footer as well. And I believe he even finaled in Fiji at one point. Um, and his father, too, is also uh, a really uh, well-established surfer, correct? Yeah, his dad, Alex, they're all part of this generation of surfers, which include Miggy Pupo's dad, uh, Leandro Dora, Felipe Toledo's dad, all these surfers that were a part of this period of time where Brazil had this really thriving culture of national professional events. They had a national tour. You could be, you know, a fully fledged professional surfer, just surfing contests in Brazil. And that environment created that first generation of Brazilian surfers that made it to the championship tour. The sons of those those guys have been the Brazilian storm. Yeah. And to see the relationship that they have, to see how proud that uh, that generation is of this young crew of Brazilians... Um, it gives you a new appreciation for how much has gone into this period of Brazilian domination, because a lot of people have this sense that it just came out of nowhere. Like it just <laughs> happened. And I was like, well, not really. There's like, you're it's looking, building. it's been building like through. It was first, very, a do- uh, it was a first tropical depression and then it turned into a tropical storm. Yeah. And it's almost a full blown hurricane now. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's very easy to understand why Brazil produces so many talented surfers and skateboarders and athletes. It is the most communal scene that I've ever been around. It's the most supportive scene that I've ever been around. The surfers on tour, the surfers on the qualifying series, the surfers that just work on creative projects, they all look out for each other. They support each other. They show up for each other's heats. They, back each other on social media they do everything they can to show each other support which is something that they learn from 
Mateus's dad's generation, you know, that it's, you're way stronger together. You're already a thousand, you know, a million miles from home. You might as well like latch on to each other for, you know, for what it's worth. And I think that the results are impossible to ignore. You see the performance level that the Brazilians bring to every event and how radical their support teams are spread amongst the entire group. Uh, it's impossible for the Australians and the Americans not to see that and wish that they had that type of camaraderie and support. Um, and talking to those guys, for them, that's really what has made being on tour special is having those relationships and sharing those experiences with each other that they'll be able to talk about with their kids, you know? I mean, like, it, it kind of also starts, like, that region, particularly with Flavio Paterat and Neko Paterat, like... Flavio and Fab Flavio Padrazzo and Fabio Goivea were the first Brazilians really to make the top 30 on tour and and further of course top 16 um and and uh Flavio is from Florinopolis originally and it can't help but see that influence on everything no 100% uh the surf culture in that area is very much a product of that generation, of that late 80s skate and surf sort of infused radical like culture of Flavio, Neko, and then you look to like Andre Barros, Pedro Barros's dad, mm -hmm. who's another big part of the surf and skate scene. And more than a lot of places, the surf and skate scene has been intertwined in that area since, you know, the very first early days of both those cultures there and to see what they have going on now was humbling to see Mateus took us to go meet up with Pedro Barros um, at the original layback park. Pedro started a brand called layback a few years ago that does beer and coffee. That's all built around building skate parks um, around Brazil and sponsoring surf contests so that he can put something back into the culture that gave him his livelihood. Um, and more than I've seen really anywhere else, they have this sense of a responsibility to give back to the generations that are coming up behind them, no matter what position they're in in their career. Even Mateus seems like someone who's very interested in helping the younger generation of kids that are coming up behind him to get where he is. Um, and that sense of community feels very like special and unique to that area. Now, uh, what is, can you go a little bit more into layback? Cause it feels like a really interesting concept and it feels like something that, you know, is helping to propel, you know, the culture forward. Yeah. They've just in the last two years, they've opened, I believe 20 parks all throughout Brazil. All of them have like sort of community initiatives taxed, uh, attached to them. You go there and you see kids skating at all hours of the night. Their parents are hanging out, eating at any of the restaurants that are there. And uh, it's created these spaces that these kids feel like they have all of the resources that they could ever need to become either a professional skateboarder or just a productive member of the skate and surf community. Um, in the last few years, Layback sponsored a handful of the bigger qualifying series events in Brazil. They have, I think, three events now. Um, 
which is more than you can say about California or yeah. the East Coast, you know, they put their money where their mouth is when it comes to supporting culture. And you see that return on their investment in how flourishing the brand is, how well they're received for all their events and how much people seem to want to get, to get involved with what they're doing. Um, it's really like just caught fire in the last few years and it's a blueprint for what, a. I don't, I, I don't want to say philanthropic, but a generous, uh, like public facing business can do as a service to their community. So getting into the waves, what, what were you surprised most about in terms of surf quality there? So I'd spent a bit of time in Rio and up in Sakurama and, you know, people have this idea that it's just all backwash and beach breaks and the occasional novelty slab and also that it's like blistering hot all the time. And we were there in the winter, the southern part of Brazil gets proper cold, like central and northern California cold. And they have all variety of waves. We served long right point breaks. We served wedgy right slabs. I'm going to say right way too many times in a row. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it was almost hard to keep track of all the different waves that we surfed. Every day, Mateus had us going to some little nook or cranny that he knew was going to be good on a certain tide or a certain wind. Points, beach breaks, little like half moon rock, little coves with wedges all over them. And any variety of river mouths and sandbar setups that you could imagine. When it comes to Florinopolis, you're dealing with an island that has, you know, at the very least 180 degrees of wind protection. So it's a lot of moving from, from one spot to the other based on the wind changing. And super consistent. We were there for two weeks and we probably surfed, I would say, good waves 70% of the time. Wow. Um, the one, the one unique thing about that area is there's a six week period in late spring, our late spring. So May and June, usually their autumn then, I guess their autumn where there is a specific fish that runs through the area called Taina and the indigenous tribes manage the waterways there and it's forbidden to surf for a month and a half. Wow. From no way. I don't know if it's all of Santa Catarina, but it's a majority of the spots there. And it's a very big point of contention. Supposedly, if you do try and surf, when you get out of the water, they'll chase you and beat you with bamboo sticks, like old fishermen chasing you down the beach with bamboo sticks to get you out of the water. Um, so we didn't know that when we were first planning the schedule and we were trying to go down there at that time. And my filmer and co-director on the series, Judas Aracura, is from uh, Garapaba and Uruguayana in that zone and called him and was like, hey, I know you guys have this on the schedule, but it's Tyna season. I was like, what is Tyna season? And he explained it to me and I couldn't wrap my head around any fish being so important that they wouldn't let people in the water. And the idea is that they think that surfers scare the fish from the area that they're trying to fish. So they... Mm don't want them surfing. I so. thought it was like a really dangerous fish. Maybe no. you need to stay out of no, the they're water. Like mullet. For they're like netting these things. I don't even know if you can catch them. You got to go net them. Uh, <laughs> they must yeah. be really delicious. Oh, delicious. Um, yeah. I do think that Brazil has some of the most underrated food on the planet. Let's sure. talk about that. Cause oh. I, 
my vision of 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 it is like a lot of churrascaria, like kind of steak, meat, but also obviously acai bowls. But the South, I imagine, has a different cuisine to maybe the North in Rio. And like, what are some of the differences potentially in some of the in the areas? And like, what 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 is local there that would you wouldn't see other parts of Brazil? The much of the cuisine of Brazil comes from Minas Gerais, which is inland of Sao Paulo, which is another state that's sort of like the food capital of Brazil. And you see that influence all over Santa Catarina. Pau de queijo, um, like, you know, Brazilian cheese bread. Like there's all these sort of staples that everyone seems to eat everywhere they go. Tapioca, which for us is like pudding, but for there, it's almost like a crepe that's made out of tapioca flour mm. with sweet or savory fillings. Um, lots of meat. They <laughs> eat a lot of meat. Lots uh, of meat. The southern, the southern range of Brazil is sort of cattle, cattle land. It's like Texas or you know, like Montana or something like that. It feels like the a little bit like the western part of the United States, and it has a huge. They call they're called gauchos, um, and it's like a full cowboy culture that's you know entirely unique to the borderlands of. Uh, Brazil, Uruguay, and Argentina. And those areas are famous for meat production, for really specific breeds of hybrid cattle, um, and for delicious beef. Um, so you see that pretty much everywhere. And then seafood is affordable, super fresh. Um, Especially the Taina. Yeah. <laughs> we had uh, we went and hung out with Tomas Hermes and Anna Hamon, uh, and Anna Hamanio, his wife and partner and filmmaker. Tomas is sort of the first Brazilian free surfer, which was part of the episode was us exploring this idea that Brazil has been very dominant within competitive surfing, but they're perceived as being not the most productive, like creative free surf culture, that that's really not part of the main surf culture there, which I think you could argue is true. Tomas is definitely one of the exceptions to that rule. But even for Tomas, it's been the big challenge has been having to do contests to afford to be a, a, a free surfer um, and then figuring out how to share that and do that with his wife and partner. Um, so it was really cool to go spend time with those guys. They took us for a dish called moqueca, which is almost like a Brazilian version of like clay pot fish. It's like a, that's um, fish and shrimp and, all types of veggies and coconut milk all cooked in like a big iron pan. Wow. Uh, it was pretty next level after <sighs> surfing all day. Now you also got to pay uh, respects and pilgrimage to Ricardo de Santos, correct? And I was hoping you can kind of talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so Ricardo de Santos was a super talented big wave surfer. And at the time... He was considered probably one of the top five best tube riders on the planet. I remember he won the trials at uh, Chopu and then went on to get third in the event and win the Andy Irons Award in, I think, 2015, maybe? Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, he was one of the most promising young stars of the country and universally adored, not just amongst Brazilians, but anyone within that community of surfers that were searching out the heaviest, hollowest, biggest waves that they could find. He was one of those guys that was just out with a smile on his face, like fearlessly sending it on the heaviest waves he could find. He was a standout at pipe. Um, 
and he was shot in cold blood out in front of his house by an off-duty police officer um, after an altercation that happened uh, in the morning out front of this house that he'd been building in the town that he grew up, which is called Guarda, which is this beautiful little harbor village that's built on the inside of this river mouth. And his dream house that he'd been building was located right on the point. Um, and Bruno Zanin, who's one of the most talented filmmakers on the planet and one of Brazil's like sort of new faces as far as creative filmmaking goes, was Ricardo's filmer when he was really young. Ricardo was the person who encouraged Bruno to first pick up a camera and really take it seriously. So Bruno took us to go see, you know, the sort of tribute that's been uh, that's been raised in honor of Ricardo, um, and to see Guarda, which is, you know, you immediately think about someone like Ricardo de Santos being killed, and your mind paints this picture of this like very dark place, and Guarda is one of the most beautiful little towns I've ever seen. The you take these little like rowboats that you rent across the harbor to this little like finger of sand. And then there's just perfect offshore waves, just like breaking up and down this little river mouth beach break. Um, and little shacks doing caipirinhas on the beach and acai. And we got to go hang out with Ricardo's brother um, and go to a football game for the national team that they were both like big fans of, which was called Figuera which was maybe the most intense experience of my entire <laughs> six months was going to that game. Um, but yeah, it was, I, Ricardo was one of those guys who his memory sort of looms large wherever you go with people who he made an impact on and an impression on. Um, he was a, a very, very special person. And you got the sense that everyone there was trying to do their best to live the way that he would have wanted them to live. Because I do think that his death was one of the most incredibly heartbreaking stories of Brazilian surfing of the past probably 25 years. Now, uh, what boards were you riding when you were down there? I, <laughs> my <laughs> boards got lost in transit. and As you do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I called Mateus. I was like, oh, my boards aren't going to show up for a few days. And, Mateus is like full drill sergeant. Like he had a schedule that we had to stick to and there was no, I don't give a fuck if your boards don't show up, we're doing it. So as I'm scrambling, trying to deal with the airlines, I get a phone or I get a, a video sent to me from Mateus of him and his uncle breaking into his dad's storage space <laughs> slash old surf shop to pull out a board for me to use of his. Uh, so I was lucky enough to borrow one of Alex Hermes, uh, sorry, I was lucky enough to borrow one of Alex Hurdy's boards and wetsuits, which I didn't realize I needed to bring. I was like, oh yeah, it's fine. I'm sure it'll be a little chilly, but it's Brazil. <laughs> it's like fucking 58 degree water and like 40 degree air. Um, but I was very grateful that they have a really strong uh, national industry there of, you know, wetsuit production, surfboard manufacturing, and we got to go see uh, Trust Wetsuits, T-R-U-Z-Z, -Z, um, which is a wetsuit brand that's mm. sort of come up in the last 15 or 16 years. They, manu they manufacture all their wetsuits in Brazil. The neoprene's beautiful. It's like as good as anything I've gotten from any of the suit makers 
that build suits in the Shiko factory um, and neoprene that's as soft as anything that I've gotten from Japan and wow. all made by surfers in Garopaba, which is the town where Mormai is from and a lot of the early like uh, Hang Loose Brazil and all the sort of like classic surf brands are all from that town from Garopaba. That's amazing. So I guess like what would you recommend if people want to go there how would you recommend it as a surf trip i tell everyone to go to brazil i think that brazil should be at the top of people's list of surf destinations as far as the like combination of super fun waves for 99 percent of the surfers out there uh incredibly bright vibrant welcoming warm culture super friendly people um, you can surf by yourself, you can chase waves, you can, you know, if you want to party, if you want to eat good food, if you just want to be in gorgeous natural environments, um, all, I mean, Brazil in general has it all, but I've really fallen in love with Southern Brazil. It feels like a mix between a South American country, a European city and a California surf town. Um, or at least Floripa does. And they just have so much going on that I can't imagine ever getting bored there if I was visiting. Like, I feel like I could have spent three months there and still wouldn't have done all the things that I wanted to do. And Mateus had us doing like 16 hour days. No wow. shit. Like, <laughs> like we would get picked up at 530 in the morning and he would bring us back at 11 o'clock at night. It was like, full-blown Brazilian boot camp with Mateus Hurdy <laughs> and he wasn't taking no for an answer. Uh, but yeah, if you have, if you ever have the opportunity to go to Brazil, take my advice and go. If you're, if you're, you know, whatever you're looking for is there, I guarantee it. And costs. Let's talk costs, local economy here. Yep. What uh, are we uh, expected to shell out if we are going to go down there? If you were to ask most Brazilians, they would say Sao Paulo, Santa Catarina, the south of Brazil is fairly expensive. If you're coming from a country where you're bringing U.S. or Australian dollars, it is ridiculously cheap. Food, like anything you can imagine, it's probably a third to a quarter of the price for a comparable quality meal for a comparable quality surfboard or wetsuit and you know, anything you need there is as far as I was able to see significantly cheaper. It's a very affordable surf trip. Accommodations are cheap. There's, you know, you could find a place that's 30 or 40 bucks a night and, and you know, a little bit dodgy or you could stay in a luxury um, accommodation for, you know, a few hundred bucks a night. I'll recommend that if you're going to Florianopolis, you stay at Joaquina Lofts, which is a little homestay in Airbnb right on the street that at the end, there's a little like secret beach break that Mateus grew up surfing. Uh, and the owner's secret no more. Devison. Oh no, he'll, he'll tell you. <laughs> you have to hike in normally like, you know, it's like a 20 minute hike up and down these like crazy little jungle trails to find the beach. And we surfed there probably four times with nobody else out Amazing. walking distance from our house. Um, and then Joaquina beach is one of the most famous sort of like recreational beaches and surfing beaches in the area. It's a very, it's like, uh, I don't know how we, we compare it to it's, it's a, it's a very like 
visited surf spot. You pull up, there's like paid parking and cafes on the beach and surf, you know, rentals and schools. And, um, it's a fully developed little corner of Florinopolis. Um, but yeah, I would fly in, travel as much as you can from North to South, spend as much time as you can in each spot. It's, uh, it will net, I, I can't imagine ever getting bored or feeling, uh, like I wasn't getting my money's worth in Brazil. So this is our last episode of the season. Um, wanted to, to, to ask you, what do you think is the common thread amongst all the places that you visited? What are the things that you found that are, you know, that they all kind of have in common? I think that most surf communities want to show visitors what they've built i think they take a real pride in their area and when people talk about getting bad vibes or when they talk about localism or any of these sort of barriers to entry for surfers that are traveling to these areas uh i can't help but feel like it's just a matter of not you know humbly talking to a local and asking them simple questions and introducing yourself because as far as I've seen, wherever I've traveled, as long as you approach a place with openness and the acknowledgement that you're, you are not from there, this is their town and, you know, their spot, I feel like surfers everywhere we went were more than happy to help us out or tell us where to go or introduce us to who we needed to meet um, and really took a vested interest in giving us what they felt was the best of their area. That's amazing. And what are some of the things you've learned while traveling to all these places? People would much rather have you ask questions about their lives than you tell them how your life differs from their reality. And I feel like everywhere we went, I was so grateful to the fact that pretty much to a person, anytime that I asked someone about what their reality was like growing up as a surfer in that area they were very excited to share really fond memories of the same things that you would hope to find in those surf communities now the local guys who took them under wing and helped them sort of find their way the shop owners that gave them their first opportunity the little surfer owned cafe that would you know let them eat food when they didn't have any money in their pocket when they were sitting at the beach cold like there's these things that everyone sort of experiences no matter where they grew up as a surfer um, that they feel make them who they are. And the more that you interact with people and they feel like you, you're witnessing that, I feel the more they feel comfortable letting you get deeper and deeper into their scene. Um, and at this point, I feel like every place that I've left, I've had this like, this little hollow feeling of like I was leaving behind a little family kind mm -hmm. of, uh, because you get to see the real holistic like organism operating and how everyone works together. Like, you know, big families do. And, um, I feel like I have a completely new perspective on each location that feels familiar when you put them all next to each other. Um, yeah. To me, it feels like surf culture is, is such a big diverse set there's some core commonalities but to 
me, what I love to see is, um, you know, these other places that have a culture and they take surfing and put their own spin on it and their own kind of, uh, you know, interpretation of what surfing is. And I think as long as you have that, like surfing will, will, will grow in so many unexpected ways and in unexpected places. It's, it's beautiful to watch and see, and it always keeps it super fascinating and interesting. You know, that, that's something that I think watching these and, and by my own travels, like I love to see, um, people put their own spin on surfing and push, push the boundaries of what is surfing even. Yeah. I mean, people can make arguments about what surf culture is, but to me, surf culture has always been the community and the scene that people have built in the towns that they're from together Yeah, and their realities as people from those areas traveling to other locations and the way that those things cross pollinate. And for me doing this series, it has validated my belief that being a surfer, it is fucking impossible to ever get bored or to run out of ideas for adventures. There's always somewhere new to go. There's always some new wave and some new scene that is of interest. And there is always going to be like that next trip that you want to take for a good reason. Um, and I hope that when people watch the series that they have that little spark that's like, fuck it, I'm going to book a trip. Like I want to go on a fucking surf trip. Where are we going? Because to me, if there's any utility to any of this, it's to light a fire under people's asses. Now, here's my suggestion. If you ever do another season of this, uh -huh. you bring one board to all the places. <laughs> Try to do a one board quiver. I tried That's this a challenge. Year. I backed out. <laughs> I, I had Al Chapman build me a 7.6 and I was like, oh, it'll be like Hinson and Robert August. You know, they just had one board, no board bag. Like, what would the board be? Uh so next season, that's, that's the challenge. I'm going to throw down for you. If you can do it, yeah. you know, because you sound like all the guys in the office that keep giving me a hard time about getting too many boards, <laughs> like one board. <laughs> well, you know, when I, back in my day, when I traveled, I went with one board, you know, from Ireland down to Morocco. And, uh, let me tell you, I, uh, it, it sufficed <laughs> when I was doing it. I almost, I, I almost called Lewis Samuels. Yes. And I was like, would you mind me ripping off your have board? board? Was it have board will travel or no? Yeah. What was it called? The tomorrow board? No, yeah. Uh, where he would go somewhere and he'd have to like come, he had to figure out a way to get a board. Um, yeah. Well, if you're filming this series, I don't think you'll have a problem getting a board <laughs> though, you know? <laughs> um, to, to finish it out. All right. Favorite meal. Favorite meal. On, on all these trips. I know it's a difficult one. It's been a lot of meals. Uh, <laughs> I would wonder what my what the caloric intake of this season has been. That's something to keep track of yeah. next season. <laughs> Fuck. It's, personally, uh, it, it's it's been a fluctuating scale. Um, my favorite meal for sure was the last barbecue that we did in Brazil. Brazilian barbecues are the best barbecues in the world. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. And it's not just about the meat or the style. It's about the pace and the whole project of the thing. A Brazilian barbecue lasts anywhere from three to five hours and involves countless rounds of meat and 
sausages and caipirinhas and all these different accoutrements and you eat slowly while having great conversations with people that just come and go and you know a party that grows and uh yeah if you if i could have a brazilian barbecue every afternoon for the rest of my life i would <laughs> you probably wouldn't live very long then would It'd you be a happy short <laughs> life it'd be a happy short cachaça and dance filled life all right best standout session the i would say the fiji session with julian on the, the outer ledge was the most humbling session that I've had in years. Um, and was one of those sessions that it like, it leaves you with so much like just fucking fury that you didn't get the wave that you wanted. <laughs> and I love sessions like that because I feel like they send me back to the drawing board and being like, all right, I'm going to train. I'm going to get my boards dialed in. I'm going back. And I think that there's surf, trips that you take you go there and you go there once and you're happy to have gone there all of the places that I went on this season I'd want to go back to I want to go back to cloud break and get it as good as we got it with the right equipment with the right mindset more than just about anything on the planet I would say that the standout session for me though personally was our last day shooting our last uh, episode in Brazil. Mateus took us to this little island called Lagoinha, which I can name. That's fine. Mateus took us to this <laughs> we can island. We that out and post that. No, no, it. it's fine. <laughs> Mateus took us on this, uh, this little like strike mission to this desolate island called Lagoinha that you either have to hike in for about, I don't know, it's like a two and a half hour hike or a 45 minute boat ride. And we pulled up and it was all of our friends that we'd sort of, you know, traveled around with for the past two weeks throughout Brazil. Uh, and just this empty beach of perfect emerald blue, chest to head high offshore wedges, just spitting barrels left and right, nobody around. And the feeling that we had just finished six months of shooting this series and we just had to surf, get our shit back in the boat and head home and we were wrapped. Um, and it was, yeah, it was a euphoric feeling. It was, uh, it was a special day. Well, Ashton, thank you for taking us on this journey and giving us a little bit of a, uh, a deeper dive and a behind the scenes look at uh, No Contest off tour. And, you know, for all our listeners, again, you can find it on Red Bull TV. And of course, um, you know, keep tuned to everything that uh everything's going on and ashton where can uh, our listeners find you if they want to uh dm you some other recommendations for future venues or places for you to go yeah i feel like people are uh for some reason a little bit tentative to hit me and ask me uh travel recommendations but i'm an open book and i'm happy you know the the, the people who i've had the the great fortune of becoming friends with at all these areas um it's I stay in very close contact with all of them. I know what's going on in each of the scenes and uh, yeah, feel free to hit me up. Uh, Bellican Trading Company on Instagram. <laughs> and um, you know, uh, how's it feel to be called the Anthony Bourdain of surfing right now? It's, uh, <laughs> it, uh, it, it feels like imposter syndrome. <laughs> uh, I don't know if anyone can, can 
fill those uh, those critical shoes. Now, but, uh, it's always been my dream to try. And um, and for everyone else, thank you so much. And you can always find me at uh, Swell Season Surf Radio. Uh, that is uh, our, my podcast. And uh, thank you for listening to all of us. And uh, is there anyone you want to thank uh, before we we close out the show? Um, no, I'm I'm yes. There's tons of people I need to thank. Actually, uh, the list of people that I would need to thank for the last six months of traveling, making this show would be astronomically long. Um, but my wife, Julia, uh, my partner on the project, uh, Duda Sarakura, Tom Bird and Beck Luca. Tom's our Australian publisher. Beck's my producer on the series um, from Stab. And then Anthony Sedgwick and Josh Walker have been hugely helpful and creatively um, active in the project since day one and i can't thank them enough for the patience and the vision watching us sort of put this show together on the road from afar and helping us to sort of shape it and rein it in uh as we learned how to make a proper travel show um with all of the open-endedness that it implies and uh, i just want to give a quick thanks and shout out to jason belsky of floored media uh for being our engineer and tech and uh, yeah, we will hopefully see everyone for another season. And we hope you enjoyed this podcast series. We'll uh, see you in the lineup soon. You go surfing. <laughs>